How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Epicenter. Um, this is the first time we're actually getting this live stream through um, the Epicenter YouTube channel. Last time I had some struggles when it came to that. I'm glad I'm able to be back on here. Um, since the last show that I had with uh, DJJ, um, I have actually managed to get the Spotify going for this. So I'm going to go ahead and post that here in the chat right now. Uh, you guys can all take a look at that uh, after the show is over. And you guys are more than welcome to go to there, listen to stuff, save some shows if you guys would like. Um, so I have a Spotify for and then it'll have obviously live stream through this YouTube and then post it on this YouTube um, after the shows are over. Um, with that all being said, I'd like to welcome uh, my guest for this week. Um, she is a goalkeeper who played for Lincoln High School and then she went on to play uh, for Portland State. She plays uh, locally for the Cal Storm and then she's played professionally overseas for Japan, uh, for a team in Japan called Charm FC and in Israel. Uh, Abby Fangle, how are you doing, Abby? I'm doing great. How about you? I've, I've been doing pretty good. Yeah, it's, uh, I know that it's been uh, about a year and a half probably since I know we last chatted. And I, I think I wrote something uh, when you were you know, transitioning over to Israel and you uh, got honored by Lincoln High School. Um, but uh, I know a lot has changed. I know COVID's obviously probably played a huge impact and you'll all be getting into all, all that. Um, but first thing I just wanted to ask you, and we were talking about it a little before the show started, but um, I know now you're back in the States and you're playing for the Storm again. I know you did that after you were done with Portland State. How has it been being able to be back in the States after being and gone for the greater part of like the last year year and a half um it's been awesome the storm's always a great team to come back home to during the summer it's full of a lot of really talented players that are um, playing collegiately um, that are just maybe a couple years out of college and then have gone on to play professionally and are just looking to stay fit over the summer um, it's just a really great environment to be able to play back in the sacramento area so i enjoyed a lot while i'm home well, that's good. Yeah, that's and uh, it's 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 got to feel good to be back, you know, home and stuff, especially after COVID times. Um, even though I'm sure that you know you got to experience some really great cultures and stuff overseas, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but I kind of just want to start uh, back a little bit. I know that you've been playing soccer since uh, kindergarten, uh, but what age did you start predominantly playing as a goalkeeper, and what motivated you to primarily focus on that position? Um, for pretty much strictly goalkeeper, I think I started when I was about 11. At that point, I was doing like half field player, half goalkeeper. But then I decided to just make the complete switch to do full-time goalkeeping, uh, mostly just because that was the point when I started playing club travel soccer. And I just really wanted to focus on one area. And kind of at that point, I was a little behind everyone else in the field players, but I was doing pretty well for goalkeeping. So I decided that's what I wanted to stick to. To continue playing soccer and I haven't really looked back since so I played a uh, club for Plaster United um, until I graduated high school obviously and then just been sticking with it doing a lot of coaching just trying to teach young players as well um, it's just a great position I love being able to like utilize my hands and just do something a little different than the field players can do um Getting into uh, some of your international play, I know you got to play for a couple months over in Japan. Um, how did that go? Did you manage to start any games for Sharm FC? And just overall, what was the experience like getting to live over in Japan? Yeah, it was a really cool first experience playing professionally overseas. Um, it was a bit of culture shock at first, uh, but overall it was a great experience. I was there with uh, one other American, so... Uh, most girls on the team didn't speak any English at all, which was a little tough, but at least I had my buddy um, that played uh, at University of Arizona and had played a few different contracts before, so she had experience. I'd always go to her with questions or concerns, anything. 
Um, but I was there for about the kind of half end of the season. I was there with my teammate to kind of help the team if they were going to be playing in the relegation games. Um, luckily, they did not have to play in those. So then I was able to play in the Empress Cup game, which is their national tournament that they do at the very end of the season. So from August to October, we were just practicing, playing in kind of exhibition games. And then in November, we got to play in the Empress Cup, which was just one game for us since we got a pretty good team off the first round. But it was a really fun competition, very professional. Um, it was just awesome to be a part of. Like, that was my first professional game playing in the Empress Cup in a country where women's soccer is very, like, highly valued. And there's a lot of fans. And it was just a really amazing experience. Uh, did you get to learn any like Japanese while you were over there from any of your teammates? <laughs> How much like, uh, do you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I've picked two countries where the alphabet is completely different. So uh, it's been been a challenge to try to adapt with the languages. But I picked up a few words here and there on and off the field. Um, tried to teach my teammates a bit of English in both countries too. Although Israel is definitely more westernized, so a lot more English there, but. In Japan, I think I picked up quite a few different phrases and words, kind of just have to keep refreshing it in my mind since I don't really uh, utilize it too much around here. Um, but yeah, the culture is amazing there. The food was amazing. The people are so kind, so respectful. Everything's very clean. They just wanted us to have the best experience we possibly could. Speaking of like the food aspect and stuff, for anyone who's going to Japan, what are some uh, foods and things that you'd recommend for them to do over there? Well, I mean, of course, the sushi, they're the best at that, um, but they do it very differently than what we're used to. Like if you go to Makuni or any other like uh, sushi place in the U.S. where there's not like a lot of the sauces, they don't really fry the fish. It's just very simple, fresh fish, fresh fish on top of rice. Um, so the sushi is different, but I like it more that way. It's very fresh. Um, the ramen's very good. Over there, it's different, too, because for them, it's not rude to slurp your food. So when you first get there and you see people like at the ramen bar just going to town on their noodles and they're slurping away, you just kind of like look up and be like, what is going on? But it's pretty normal. Um, so, yeah, I would say the ramen, the sushi, they have really good like baked goods that they make that are different than what we're used to. You can trust the food at 7-Eleven, which is kind of a crazy concept, but I got a a lot of like my lunches and dinners there it's all like fresh made and like, really good ingredients. <laughs> yeah yeah so no the food there is amazing that's awesome um and then um i was gonna say outside of the food aspect what are some like uh things recreationally like they have in japan that may be a little bit um different than what they have in uh the states what are some things you might like recommend as like fun things to do over there if you when you had free time yeah, so when we had free time, we did a lot of uh, traveling on their special like bullet train, which can basically take you anywhere within the country within a couple hours. It's fairly expensive just because it's so efficient and it's kind of like flying in a plane, like mm -hmm. how clean it is and just like the type of service it provides. But we would travel. We went to Hiroshima a couple of times. Um, so we got to go to the museum there about mm -hmm. World War II. We got to visit the city try a bunch of different foods there. Call, uh, there's one dish called okonomiyaki, which they specialize, which is kind of like a Japanese pancake where it's noodles, egg, vegetables, and they kind of fry it up on a, a stove top. 
It's really good. Um, they also have the island where that famous Shinto shrine is, the, the red shrine that floats in the water. Unfortunately, when we were there, it was under construction, so we couldn't really see it. Um, but there's a lot of cool little islands that you can island hop to in Japan. Um, we also got a chance to go to Kobe, uh, Osaka, Kyoto. My teammate got to go to Tokyo for a weekend. I went to this really cool island where they specialize in art. They have a bunch of different galleries. Um, didn't get to go to any sumo wrestling matches, but <laughs> I did get to go to a few different soccer games. I got to go to uh, Kobe's, the professional men's team in Kobe. They had David Villa and Iniesta on the team. So I got to see some pretty legendary players uh, cool. in a match. Um, and then I was also there during the time there's the Rugby World Cup going on. So there's a lot of tourists walking around just around the different cities. So it was a really cool experience. That's awesome. That's really cool, especially it's, being able to actually watch some of those uh, legends play like you mentioned. Um, yeah. Now, I know that you got the opportunity through your agent when it came to getting over to be able to play in Israel. Um, but how was the process of getting to transfer to Israel out of Japan? And was it difficult to have to move to another country yet again, just a few months after being in, a, in another nation? I mean, having an agent makes the process a bit easier just because he's the one that's kind of dealing with all the paperwork and the transfer process. Um, so essentially after I finish my season uh, with a team, then he goes on and teams approach him as to what their needs are for their current season or upcoming season. So then if a team approaches him like, hey, I need a goalkeeper, then he kind of brings that to me and asks, would I be interested in playing in this country? I'd say yes, and then it's up to him to kind of negotiate the contract. And then at that point, the contract gets sent over, and I kind of look it through, see if there's anything that is like a red flag to me or if it's cool with me, and then just sign, boom, done, uh, send it out. And then he kind of deals with like the clearance paperwork, all that stuff that makes it possible for me to get over there. Um, and then usually like the team takes care of the travel, which is awesome. So. I have a couple weeks, maybe if I know more in advance, I'll have a couple months to prepare to get over there. And then it's it's pretty easy for me. I just kind of know like, hey, I'm gonna be here at this time, just prepare myself and then I'm there. That's that's great. Um, now, when you were over there, it was the beginning of 2020, and this was before COVID struck. And I know you got to play a few games over there. How many games did you get to play before COVID shut everything down? Um, so I got there about middle of January, which was about halfway through the current team season. And I was able to play, I believe, three league games with them. And then we played our first round of the Israeli Cup, which is the national tournament that they do, as well as the regular season. So I was able to get about four games in. Um, I think we went two and one and then in the cup game we won our game like 13-0 so we're really excited about the remainder part of our season and in the cup and then unfortunately shortly after that COVID happened um and we started hearing from other teams that their foreign players were going home just because we weren't really sure what was happening and a lot of the different leagues worldwide were uh, shutting down um either postponing or completely canceling and at first I think they're just going to try to postpone. We weren't practicing at the time. But then ultimately the league decided to make the decision where they would just cancel the rest of the season. So at that point, um, the team just sent 
us foreign players home. I think there was about five of us. I know one girl had just gotten home within a few hours of the border closing for Jamaica. So it's just kind of crazy, the mass like exodus uh, from Israel, I'm sure other countries, but my flight was completely full of Americans just trying to get back home uh, before there was a potential border close. Uh, and and how how difficult was uh, that process? How difficult was it um, for you to start playing and have everything shut down such a short time after you had arrived? What how how explain to me um, what you kind of had to go through when all that was going on? Yeah, it was just a lot of uncertainty. Um, I was for sure disappointed. Uh, I wasn't sure at first if we could continue the season, but it was disappointing where we were kind of in a flow, and then the season was held up. And then even more disappointment when we, we found out that the rest of the season was canceled. So, um, I mean, of course, I was a bit happy to be home just because I wanted to be with my family during the, the times of COVID because uh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, but I was pretty disappointed with how we weren't able to finish out the rest of the season. Um, and it was very stressful just trying to get everything ready to go. I felt like I'd just gotten there and now I have to go back. Um, but when I got home, I kind of settled back in and was able to just train how I could, um, given the circumstances, couldn't train, um, as a team, but a few months after I got back, the storm started doing, um, training sessions, which was great, um, given the restrictions. So I was able to stay in shape until then and just kind of figure out what the plan was when things were going to be opening back up. Luckily, um, the team wanted me back for when the, the season started for this last season. So I was home until November when I had to leave for this whole 2020 to 21 season. Gotcha. And yeah, I was, I was about, cause I was about to ask you that. I know that you got a chance to actually go back and start playing some games again. Um, in the beginning of when you guys started playing this season, did you guys have fans or, cause I know Israel, um, when it came to the world kind of basically outpaced everyone, including the United States when it came to vaccinations and stuff. So I don't know, um, if, when did you guys be in a, when were you guys able to start having fans in the seats and, uh, how did that process kind of go in terms of, did you guys start the season with fans? Did you guys have to go a few games without them? Like, how did that all go for you guys in the beginning well the funny thing about women's soccer in israel is that it, it was fairly unregulated so basically the whole time we could have fans um it wasn't like we were playing in like huge stadiums where they had to regulate what was or the people that were coming in mm -hmm. so i know for a few games they had people kind of fill out forms like health declaration type forms um but for the most part we continued as normal um, they did like the temperature checks sometimes before games, but the the league wasn't probably as professional as it could have been just because they're a little behind the times as far as uh, the development of women's soccer there. Um, but they, they made sure that we were taken care of and uh, it was kind of nice to have fans when the men's teams couldn't and they're responsible about it. Everyone was social distancing. And like you said, Israel was very on top of the COVID protocol. So while I was there, we were able to get vaccinated as foreigners. Uh, our first dose was in February. The second dose was the first week of March. So we were able to get taken care of pretty early. And then the rest of the season was a breeze where, I mean, more people were coming to our home games as the country continually um, were getting vaccinated.
Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I did when it came to the Japan. Um, for uh, when it came to Japan, for the first couple months that you were in Israel, and then obviously since you've been back when you had the full season, um, what are what, what was your whole life thoughts about like Israel? Did you like it? Not to hurt, hurt any brand deals or anything, but did you like it more than Japan? Did you like uh, Japan a little bit more? And then what were some things that uh, you found that were like really fun things to do in Israel, um, and then like some good food that may be over there? Like how, how was the experience over there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty hard to compare the two because they're very different cultures. Um, mm -hmm. Japan is westernized to a degree, but like where I was, I was in a, a much smaller city and there wasn't a lot of English around. Uh, grocery shopping was a mess because I had to like just look for brands that I recognized, but everything else was in Japanese. So it was a way bigger culture shock for me and a little more like uh, isolating. Um, but again the culture is very cool there like all the travel that we did there was amazing like the temples uh the nature there the beauty that they have there and also all the history um but then in israel it's much more westernized there's way more english around way more way more english speakers um the grocery stores like they had a lot more common brands that we would be used to here so that was much easier for me to adjust to um, and the people there are also very warm, very welcoming, but it's just a different culture where in Japan, it's more of a collectivist idea. And mm. in Israel, it's, or, uh, yeah, in Israel, it's more like here where there's a lot more individuality, but there's also a, a center on family and coming together, um, especially since the, the country of Israel basically runs um, off of Judaism, which is, has like a lot of holidays that center around bringing the family together to eat, um, to celebrate life together. And like uh, every week they do, it's called Shabbat. So Friday, Saturday, most stores, everything closed down around uh, 3 p.m. on Friday and then they don't open until late Saturday or until Sunday. So it just really kind of forces people to come together in a good way, like to go to the beach, to, to have dinner together, just to enjoy each other's company. So. Um, very different cultures, but both are kind of similar where it's welcoming and centered around coming together. Um, as far as like activities that we did in Israel, there's so much to do. And again, it's another country with so much history. I mean, it's basically the center of all religion, even if you're not religious, like I'm not super religious, but I love the historical aspect of being able to go to a place like Jerusalem and go to these churches where, well, there's the church where they believe Jesus was buried. There's the Western Wall, which is uh, the last remnants of uh, the Jewish temple that was there. Mm -hmm. um, then going to the Dead Sea, where you can float on that salt water. Um, and then like we'd go up to Haifa, which is a really cool Northern city. Um, it's just such a, a blend of cultures from different countries. Uh, whereas in Japan, like it was obviously very more Japanese, the people of Japan living there and more tourists coming in, where in Israel, you have people from England, from Italy, from Spain, you have people that have come in from northern parts of Africa, you have people that have come from Asia as well from the US. So it's definitely more of a melting pot there. That's cool. And, and you know, it's, it's neat. You, you know, you mentioned about the churches. I'm not really a religious person as much either, but um, uh, I still respect like the history of, you know, certain churches and stuff like that. Uh, I recently um, in April actually took a three week vacation across the country with my parents on Route 66. We did uh, 
LA to Chicago. And um, along the way, we stopped in Albuquerque and an old town there. They have like one of the one of the oldest churches, I don't know if it was in the state or if it was even in the West, but it was from like, I want to say it's the early 1600s. And it was, we didn't get to walk in because of, of COVID and stuff, but we got to see from the outside and they had like a little gift shop there and, and certain other things. And uh, it's really just neat, like the architecture and also to learn the yeah. history of some of these places and stuff like that. Like, like you mentioned where they believe, you know, Jesus was buried and stuff, you know, it, it's, it's really uh, neat to just soak in the history and it really, you know, in some of these cases, it actually almost gives you like a ghostly kind of vibe and feeling sometimes. And but it's really cool to kind of soak in all that history. So I definitely agree with you. I think that's really cool to have those kinds of experiences. Um, do, is there any place in particular, like any uh, city or any beach, anything in particular that you have as like a favorite place that you've been to in Israel? Um, well, I mean, Tel Aviv is the major city there. So uh, that's a place that you have to go if you visit all the different foods that they have there. You mentioned food earlier. There's um, shakshuka, which is a really great breakfast dish. Um, where it's like tomato with poached eggs and you can put vegetables in it. It's amazing. Um, the pita and hummus there is unbelievable. Like once you have it there, it kind of ruins it everywhere else for you. Um, the shawarma, which is like the shaved meat. Um, you can have it with pita, hummus, tahini. Um, oh, they also have like really great Ethiopian food. Um, really good, just like different parts of the Middle East. Um, so again, like the people there, the food's kind of a blending of cultures. So that was amazing. Um, and you get it, that it the most in Tel Aviv. Than some stuff in America. It sounds a lot healthier than some yeah, stuff. Yeah, the, the, their fast food, there's the shawarma. Um, and that's really not too bad. There are, there are a few McDonald's and Domino's, but really it's all freshly made vegetables. Um, a lot of carbs, but if you stay away from that, it is pretty healthy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Tel Aviv is like the main site if they want to go to those amazing beaches where it's just so many people gathered around playing volleyball, just doing different things. Um, and the nightlife there as well. Um, I really like Haifa. It's more, uh, they have like this really cool observatory type building on top of this hill, but that's like kind of the main area where they ship things in from other countries. So they have a massive shipyard area, docking area. Um, and also they have really great hiking areas because it is kind of more uh, mountainous up in that northern region. Mm -hmm. And they also get snow sometimes up there, too, which is kind of crazy to think about snow being over in that part of the world. Um, and then Jerusalem was also amazing just because of that history there uh, and just kind of the different the different cultures that are there. Obviously, I was there until the end of May. And so my last two weeks there were a little wild with the, the conflict that was going on. Yeah. Um, but before that was happening, there's really such a uh, cooperation between the Jewish culture, the um, Islamic culture, the Christian culture. Um, and I never really had any idea that there are issues going on up until like that last part. Um, so I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, there's just so much to do, like from an outdoorsy aspect where you can go for hikes. There's a lot of great food scenes, a lot of great like kind of nightclub if you're into that. There's just a lot of things that you can do there. Were you anywhere near um, where any of the bombs or if they had any evacuations or anything were going on? Were you anywhere anywhere near any of that at all by any chance? Um, so where I was, it's called uh, Khadera and it's about 
20 minutes away from the city of Netanya, where Netanya actually had some of those alerts going off. But for the most part, we're a little too far north to be in the range of the, the missiles that were being sent over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in Tel Aviv with one of my teammates visiting some family that I have over there. And we're just walking and the siren goes off and we're like, oh, like, what do we do now? And so we just start running. We run to an apartment building and we just kind of take shelter there for a few minutes. And um, when we got out of the building, we look up in the sky and you can see like the cloud that was made from the interceptor rocket um, intercepting the missile that was being sent over. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, that was just basically right above our heads. And then people kind of just continue as usual. Like we went and grabbed lunch after. So it's Mm -hmm. just a very different lifestyle being in the middle of conflict like that, where we're not really used to anything like that, obviously happening Mm -hmm. in the U S right. And, 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 you know, even though that's very small, that at least in some way has got to be a little bit life changing because you almost get a sense of, you know, shoot my life over, you know, here may not necessarily be that bad when you look at stuff that happens in other countries and stuff like that. And some of the stuff that people have to go through over in that parts of the world, uh, you know, we're fortunate over here, you know, that we, um, you know, regardless of what people may think or say, you know, we are fortunate that we have the military and the defense that we have in terms of we don't have to deal with stuff like that on a daily or weekly basis. And, you know, that I, I could see how that would be life changing and definitely uh, interesting, scary event and stuff. But I'm glad that you were safe. And I'm glad that most people that you knew were safe. So that's good to know. And hopefully, uh, hopefully that doesn't have to happen for, you know, the next 100 years. <laughs> yeah, at least I don't think I'll be over there when it happens again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, this is time for the segment on the show where uh, I think it's very important. This kind of goes off of John Krasinski because I watched what he did with his uh, good news um, uh, videos. And I think it's important to have one good news story of the week. So I do, but I do a thing called half and half. So I cover one good news story of the week that I find. And then I cover one uh, weird or funny news story that I find that I think is just either really stupid, hilarious, whatever the case may be. So I figured I'd share these with you guys. I did two for each last week. I was not able to find as much because of course it's only been three days since the last podcast. So I have one of each for you guys. So I'll go ahead and share the first one here. This is uh, the good news story of the week. Let me go ahead and find it on here. All right, good news story of the week. A trail angel sprinkles magic along the Appalachian Trail for unsuspecting hikers. Uh, Every year, thousands of hikers attempt to complete the 2,000-mile Appalachian Trail stretching from Georgia to Maine, but only one in four are able to conquer the mountainous terrain that has an elevation gain and loss equivalent to hiking Mount Everest from sea level and back 16 times. Hikers uh, typically carry... um, typically carry only three days of food and sometimes run short as they endeavor to reach the next town to resupply. Fortunately, trail angels sprinkle their magic along the way to provide uh, wary hikers food, drink, and a comfy chair in which to rest. Michelle Stoddenmeyer had never heard of the trail angels or trail magic before her son, Zach, began a through hike of the Appalachian Trail in March. Zach told her how hikers so appreciated real food and drinks from volunteers, nicknamed trail angels by the hiking community. Michelle decided she would become an angel as well. She and her husband, Dave, had already arranged to stay in Airbnbs along the Appalachian Trail in Georgia, Tennessee, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Vermont, and Maine during the six months Zach had planned a hike. There are so many remote places where a trail crosses a road, which offers a perfect place to set up some trail magic, a term coined by long-distance hikers to describe an unexpected occurrence that lifts a hiker's spirits. There, typically an hour or so from any town, she would offer, often encounter other trail angels spreading their own magic. And I just think it's really cool because a lot of people, you know, in the last few months are finally getting back out on their feet. Some people who 
who have been, you know, really worried about COVID and stuff. Now, you know, with vaccinations ramping up, people are going out and doing stuff outside, um, doing stuff inside. And I just think it's really cool that there is a sense of community when it comes to stuff like this. And, you know, people are helping each other out, you know, even in stuff like this, you know, people actually want to get out and explore the country. I just thought it was a really cool story in that sense. Um, with that being said, let me go ahead and show you guys the other story of the week that I found, which is a little bit weirder. I personally found it really funny just because of what they try to do to set this up and make it look like uh, what it was. This is the story from HuffPost. Uh, newscaster mocked for promoting story of youth drug use with bizarre teen bedroom. A St. Louis newscaster was mocked on Thursday after Twitter user suggested a photo about an upcoming story on teen drug use was staged. Paige Holsey, an anchor reporter at CBS affiliate KMOV, took to social media to promote a story about how a parent can tell if their teenager is doing drugs. The tweet was accompanied by a photo of what Holsey suggested was a normal teen's bedroom, and therein lies the rub. So I'll go ahead and show this to you guys before I, I read any more. It actually took me a second to realize what was wrong with it. And then all I had to do was look at the top right-hand side of the screen and look at the wall and then realize, hmm, this doesn't really look like a bedroom here. And that's because it's not. They basically set up what they expected a teenager's bedroom uh, who you know may smoke pot or whatever may look like. And they basically set that up in their studio. Um, so here's some tweets you guys can read. What is this? She live in an office? I mean, it's just really funny. They literally took an empty room in the newsplex, styled it to make it look like a fake version of what they thought a stoner's teen's bedroom may look like. And of course, it's a serious issue, kids doing drugs and stuff like that. I'm not trying to talk crap against people who are trying to you know promote against that but it's really funny they, they didn't it looks like they when you really look close they didn't even try they really didn't even try and that's the funny part about it I, I thought it was a pretty funny weird story so I thought I would share that with you guys that's it for the half and half for this week um, I'll go ahead and get back to asking Abby some questions here and then I'll get to my other segment on the show here shortly so um, I wanted to go back to um uh, talking about uh, Cal Storm. Um, there, there's two Cal Storms team that look like when I was looking over the weekend. There's a Cal Storm 1 and 2. I'm assuming Cal Storm 2 is under 21, or what, what is that like? Is, is that Am I right about that? Yeah, they just started the league uh, this year where they're um, doing the U21. So the teams that have the numbers for it, they have like their second team, so the U21. So girls obviously under the age of 21 can play for that but then they can also get moved up to the, the team number one, which is just kind of the open range of ages. Gotcha. Um, and so I'm assuming that you've been getting to start most, if not all games for Cal Storm 1. If so, it looks like you've been doing great. It looks like you guys have only given away one goal in six games. Um, how do you feel your playing conditioning while overseas has made you a better player now? Yeah, so uh, I wasn't able to start the first game because my paperwork was still going through from the international transfer. Um, but I've been playing uh, since then. Split a couple games with another goalkeeper uh, that played. She actually won the national championship with Santa Clara this year. Oh. So our team's pretty stacked with goalkeepers. It's been nice. Our defense is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been awesome uh, being on a crazy talented team. And we've just been really successful this season. And I think obviously playing professionally has given me um, an edge with experience since I'm the oldest goalkeeper uh, that's been playing so far. Um, and it's just really prepared me for different situations because my team in Israel struggled a little bit um, on the defensive end. So I saw a lot of action. So I was prepared going into the season with the storm. 
And um, we've just had a lot of success. We've scored uh, a lot of goals and we've been good on the defensive side too. So it's just been um, really cool to see how we've started the season and then finishing out this next month. Um, I know that you guys had a game in the Bay Area over this last week weekend. Um, in terms of like your guys' league or the teams that you play, kind of like what's the range for you guys? Like how far do you guys travel for games? How far do teams come? Like, like, like kind of where's like the general area you guys like play in? Yeah, this season was different than um, when we had uh, two seasons ago before COVID, where uh, typically each conference basically has five or six teams, and then you play each team twice. Um, this year, they kind of expanded our conference, so now there's 10 teams total in our conference. Um, and before, the furthest we traveled was Nevada, but now it's just all Bay Area-based. So the furthest we would basically go, I think, was our last game in uh San Rafael, um, then uh, I think kind of the Concord area. But other than that, um, half, the, half of the games were in the Bay Area, and then the other half have been at our home field in uh, Davis. Uh, so we have four games left, and all four are basically home games since one of them we're playing against FC Davis, same complex. So it'll be kind of nice to finish out with no travel and just being able to play in front of a home crowd. Um, it looks like your guys' season lasts until the 31st of July. Um, what are your plans? Uh, actually, this is a two-part question. Um, for people who want to come see you at the um, at the games, it looks like online there's going to purchase season tickets. Um, can people purchase single game tickets in person? Sorry, it looks like I had a little bit of an internet issue there. I, yeah, no problem. Me? Yep. Abby, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hold on. It looks like I might have lost you here. Okay. Um, no, I think I can good. add you back. Can you hear me? Yeah, it looks like something might have gotten paused. Okay. Oh, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can. Like it's okay. re reloading up. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Um, okay. So I think right. I heard well, I your question about the ticket. Okay. I think we're good. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. So for the tickets, um, yeah, you can still buy the season pass, um, but also there's individual tickets for sale at our game. They're only five bucks. Um, and then also the nice thing about our games is we have uh, a beer garden. One of our sponsors is Sudwork. So it's kind of fun for mom and dad and then the kids too. There's a lot of activities. Usually there's bubble soccer going on. There's tech ball, which is kind of like ping pong, but with a soccer ball. Um, they have cornhole set up. So there's a lot of different things that you can do during the game, um, during halftime of the game. Obviously you can watch the game too. Um, so yeah, I mean, the games are really great and it's a great price. Uh, they do a lot of like halftime activities. Our first game, there were kind of like pyro people doing fire swallowing and tricks. And then we had a magician at our last game. So we, we try to make it a really cool experience for everyone. That's awesome. How many people would you say like on average or in general, do you guys, would you say you guys get like an attendance for fans? And I don't know, I, mean, I would assume now you guys are back to being able to be a full capacity because of um, regulations and stuff. But how many, like, would you, what would you say on average you guys get? 
Well, our first game, we had about 1,500 tickets in circulation, and I think there was probably close to that many people around. So it was a really amazing turnout for a home opener. And then I know for our second home game, the numbers weren't quite as high just because there was a tournament going on in the area. And then also there's a lot of teams uh, playing in Lake Tahoe. There's a tournament up there. But we still had a pretty good turnout. I would say close to 500 people were out there still for that. So there's been quite a few fans out there, which has been amazing. And you can sit in the bleachers that are set up, but also just bring a chair and kind of pick a spot on around the field and just watch from there. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to uh, go check that out, um, there, Cal Storm does have a website. You guys can look on there. Um, they have season tickets on there. Or it's um, Davis Legacy Field. Is that what it's called where you guys home field is? Yeah. Davis Legacy Field. Yeah. Awesome. Um and then uh, what I was going to ask you for the second part of the question is uh, your season lasts until July 31st. Do you already have plans for after that? Kind of what are your plans going forward right now? Yeah, so right now um, I have my agent just looking up different opportunities uh, for me during the summer transfer window. So right now, basically from this point until around the end of August, there's teams where they're either halfway through their season or going to start. And so they're looking for players to bring in. So I'm hoping to land on a team um, for at least the half season um, and then be there until November, December, and then kind of go from there. But yeah, I'm just kind of keeping uh, my eyes open, looking for opportunities, playing with the storm while I'm here, and then hopefully looking for somewhere to play the next couple months. Well, that's awesome. Well, best of luck to you. Hopefully everything goes well. And uh, yeah, so going on to the next question. Oh, shoot. What's that sound? It's time for the fireball, everybody. All right. So the fireball and this show, if you guys watched the first time around, uh, this is where I basically quiz my person I have on when it comes to general knowledge regarding whatever subject topic it may be um, they uh, they are a part of. So for example, I did a whole uh, rap quiz thing for uh, DJJ. And I've got some questions for Abby here. So I've got 90 seconds. You have to answer five of these right. If you get these, you get to be in the Fireball Hall of Fame. You'll be the first person in because DJJ got three of them right. Um, I've got nine questions here. Let's see how many we can get right. Are, are you ready? Yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. All right. It's time to get the timer going. All right. Here we go. Ready. In three, two, one, go. Who is the all-time leading goal scorer in Manchester United history? Wayne Rooney. Yes. Uh, what is the home stadium for the Portland Thorns? Providence Park. Perfect. Uh, what year was the Sac Republic founded? Uh, I know their inaugural season was 2014, but I think they started 2012. Look at you. Awesome. Perfect. Um, name three of the four clubs Edwin Vandersar played for. Oh, that's going to be tough. Okay. I think, well, obviously United. And then did he, I think maybe Ajax? Okay, that's that's another one. You got one more. Oh, crap. Okay. Uh, can you give me a hint of what? Yes, league? what's the most popular club in Italy? Ooh, okay. So I would say Juventus or? Yes, there you go. Perfect. Juventus. Um, how old was David Beckham when he made his debut as a pro? Ooh. Eighteen? Mm, 17, so close. Um, who is the only player to score 50 goals for both clubs in Milan? Uh, I'll just go with Pirlo. I'm not sure. 
It's Zlatan, um, who is the all-time leading goal scorer for the U.S. Women's National Team with 184 goals. Uh, ooh, I think it's it's Carly Lloyd now. Oh, it's Abby Wombach. <laughs> uh, Where did no. Roosevelt play college at? Oh, uh, Wisconsin. Yes, you did it! All right! <laughs> she got it done with a second to spare. I kid you not. There Let's was go. one on the clock. <laughs> I had one question left for her. She did it. Oh, congratulations. Good job. Thank you. you. Know, <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm personally, I, I, I think I mentioned this to you before. I myself am an Arsenal fan, but um, I have, I have not watched as much league soccer in the last few years because it's just been depressing um, <laughs> watching us get yeah. sixth, eighth, fifth, and not being able to do it. But that's really a good job. Yeah, the only other question I had, I guess this is a bonus at this point. Let's see if you get this one. Um, Tim Howard has the record for most saves in a World Cup game with 16 in 2014. Which team did he play against? What was the hint? I'll give you a hint. They're still in the Euros right now. They're still in the Euros. Okay. Um, I'll go with England. Belgium. <laughs> Good job, though. You got five right. Uh, and that was actually the next question I was going to ask you because I know we were talking a little bit about the Euros beforehand. Um, we got some big games coming up. Um, I know that Belgium, Italy is this week. Um, there's a, I, I know Spain's playing this weekend. Uh, right now, out of the teams who's left, who's your pick to win the Euros? Um, well, I mean, England's one of my favorites just because I watch EPL. Manchester United is my team. And so you got Rashford on there. Um, and you have McGuire on there. Uh, so, I mean, they're pretty stacked, but Belgium's looking pretty good. They're ranked number one in the world for a reason. And I really like how Lukaku plays, but now that Eden Hazard's out, that's going to be tough and De Bruyne's out. So the way England's played today, I think England might have a chance, solid chance to take it. It was a solid 2-0 win against Germany, too. Yeah I, yeah, I think it could come down to England or Belgium, too. I, I My pick is Belgium. I, I have them beating Italy uh, this weekend, um, but uh, or Friday, I should say. Um, but, yeah, England looks pretty good, too. Um, one of my, my favorite personal player uh, in, in the world is Jamie Vardy. So I, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I really like Jamie Vardy. Um, I also like Raheem Sterling a bit. Uh, I am not a Spurs fan, so I'm not a Harry Kane fan. But yeah. I what he is able to do um and uh yeah england definitely looks like a tough team to beat they're gonna be a really tough team to go to go through and i don't know how um how everything like kind of like stands right now i don't know if it's possible within the brackets but it, I, it would be awesome to see a belgium england final that would be really cool and, and entertaining yeah. a lot. that'd be really yeah, cool but they can make that happen that'd be great yeah. <laughs> All right. So getting back into a few more questions uh, before we get everything wrapped up here. Um, I want to just uh, talk about uh, some in generals and stuff like that. So who would you say is your biggest inspiration in general, whether it be someone in your life, family member, et cetera. And then who is your biggest inspiration soccer or football wise? Um, I guess life wise, my biggest inspirations would probably just be my parents because um, I've admired what they've done for themselves in their life and the positions that they've been able to put me in um, with soccer and with school. And they've always been there to support me and what I've chosen to do. Um, so, I mean, definitely my parents are my biggest support system and the people I look up to the most. Um, as far as soccer goes, um, one of the first goalkeepers that got me really excited about soccer 
was Brianna Scurry, who was on the women's national team in the 90s. Um, when they, they won that World Cup in uh, 99, was amazing to see her penalties, her saves there. And then also who got me really into Manchester United was Vanderstar. So both goalkeepers kind of inspired me at a young age. And then I've continued um, just to really admire different goalkeepers that have come up through the different leagues, uh, men's and women. Um, now, uh, I was going to say, because Vander Saar, uh, when he was goalkeeper with United, uh, would that have been the same time that Rooney and Ronaldo were there? Were they, was he playing with them? I believe the same so, time? yeah. Oh, That's my God. They were, they were winning nasty. some championships back then, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a nasty team. They, how many um, Champions Leagues did they win when they had that team together, like two or three? I think, well, they. I know they've won the same amount of Champions Leagues as they have um, Prem's. I think it's four total, but I'm not sure how many they've won when they were there. I would say at least two. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I'm just imagining like what what you guys could have done had Ronaldo actually stayed around, but I'm sure it came down to a, a money Might thing. Might be able to come back. Yeah, I, I have heard rumors on that, and it's been amazing to see what he's been able to do going from you know playing in La Liga with uh, you know Madrid and now transferring over to Juve and playing great over there. I mean, it's and he's I think what 35, 36, and he's still arguably mm-hmm. the best player in the world right now. I, I personally think he's the best player in the world. Sorry to Messi fans out there right now, um, but uh, I I think that he's just a world class talent. It's it's unbelievable to see what he's able to do at this age. He was I mean he's arguably in the last Portugal game was the only person that was really creating chances out there on the field. <laughs> yeah, they they looked a little rough out there. You could tell he was very frustrated at the end of that one. Yeah, and and I and I know you know because he another fellow Portugal player who's on United, Bruno uh, Fernandez. I know mm-hmm. that um, you know he he had a little bit of a rough game in that one. That was it was rough for him, but um, but yeah, it's amazing just to see what Ronaldo's able to do. It's crazy. Um, is there anybody that you try to model your work ethic or game after you uh, in your opinion? Um, I mean, for me, I've always just been a player that that tries to put their head down and just do the work and put in extra work. Um, and I've seen that from a lot of players professionally um, on the women's side and men's side. So I, I wouldn't say that there's really like one player that I've modeled that after, but just like watching Sports Center uh, docu-series on different athletes that highlight from various sports, just seeing extra work that they've put into their game and then what they've done off the field too. Um, I just try to do that as well even if it's they're obviously playing at the highest level, but I'm still playing at a decent level and I try to model what I do after them. Um, I'm sure when it comes to this question, obviously having an agent helps with this, but what would be a piece of advice you would give to uh, somebody who is just uh, finishing their time up in college and uh, does, you know, have a lot of positive play under their belt? What would be a piece of advice you would give them uh, if they were trying to transition into either a semi-professional or professional role? What would you, a piece of advice would you give to them? Yeah, I would say like, if that's something that you're interested in and go for it, there's plenty of opportunities out there at the semi-professional level or at the professional level. Um, Don't be afraid to reach out to agents. There's a lot out there that you can uh, message on social media or just look up on Google, find their website, contact information. So if that's something that you want to pursue, there's tons of different avenues and paths that you can take to do it. Um, And just be confident in your abilities. 
I would say a big thing for goalkeepers, um, especially, and then obviously field players can do this too, is just making like highlight videos of what you've done in your games, because that's a main way for teams overseas to see you, because obviously they're not traveling here to watch you play. So just really promoting yourself and, and putting yourself in a position where um, you, you approach uh, agents, you teams can approach you, you can send direct emails to clubs if you want. Um, and if a team shoots you down, then there's another opportunity out there. So just be resilient with that. Um, women's soccer is definitely something that doesn't necessarily get as much light as it probably deserves when it comes to uh, media in this country, sports media and stuff like that. Because um, I, I, I don't even know this. I'm actually just asking you because I'm just curious. Do it, Are there any professional women's soccer leagues in the United States that are like out there that people should know about? Yeah, I mean, the, the big ones, the National Women's Soccer League, NWSL, so that's where you have the Portland Thorns. Um, you have Orlando Pride, you have the Houston Dash. I think there's about 10 teams now and they're expanding, trying to expand every season. So uh, next season, there's going to be a team in LA and I believe a team in San Diego. The most recent team was Louisville, I think. Um, so that's going to be the, the big league in the US um, after the original professional women's league had to get uh, canceled for financial reasons around mm -hmm. 2010, 2011, I think. Um, so that's a big one. But then what I'm playing in the WPSL is the biggest league because there's, I don't know, I think there's hundreds of teams around the U.S., um, but they keep that semi-professional title because there's a lot of college players that come home during the summer and want to be able to play, but they wouldn't be able to play if it was paid. So they keep this league intact so um, players from different backgrounds, different levels have a chance to play. Um, but as far as professional, the NWSL is the biggest. And I know these um, NBC and a lot of different uh, news and media outlets have been um, playing the games more and more every year. And, and they also stream on the Internet. So I think they just started in April or so. So the league's well underway. They're getting going. And um, it's exciting to watch. Um. What do you think it would take um, for women's soccer to kind of start getting uh, some more attention or more televised um, on TV outside of the World Cup? Because obviously you see a lot on you know ESPN when it comes to World Cup time, um, but there's not a lot of coverage outside of that when it comes to you know professional leagues. Um, what what do you think it would take? Because obviously ESPN right now a lot of their main focus is around basketball and football. Even even baseball nowadays on that channel is kind of dying. Earlier there was a uh, I forget, there was a, a baseball game on earlier I was watching on ESPN and it got interrupted for a basketball um, update on, I think, Trey Young being out for the game tonight against the Bucks, And um, and they were talking about that for a little bit. What do you think it's going to take for women's soccer to get some more press or get some more attention when it comes to uh, sports outlets and stuff in this country? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's tough in the U.S. for not only just women's soccer, but a lot of sports that often get overlooked just because I mean, basically football, basketball, and baseball kind of run Sports Center and all those other um, sports channels, outlets. So, I mean, I think for women's soccer, uh, it's in the best position to get more coverage just because soccer in America is becoming more and more popular amongst uh, youth. I think like most people have at least played a bit of soccer at some point in their life. And 
women's soccer is especially popular because I think it's probably one of the most fun sports to watch. Um, so I think it's just going to take more uh, financial backing from bigger companies or investors to put more support, more uh, media coverage, um, social media coverage and on TV um, and just, just more effort on those uh, sports uh, companies, news channels or outlets focusing on the women's soccer league because I know last year when they had the Challenge Cup going on over summer, there's actually quite a bit of coverage going on, mainly because it was one of the only sports happening at that time. Mm -hmm. But I think that allowed more people to get excited about women's soccer because they're seeing at high level what these women were doing. So I think the more teams that start and they're expanding the, the league, at first it was around six teams, now it's around 10. So if they keep expanding the league, keep putting it in bigger cities um, and even partnering them with the MLS teams like the Timbers and Thorns are basically a partnership. So um, just kind of providing more resources like that uh, would go a long way in um, the coverage of women's soccer. Um, back to um, some generals about your career. What would you say are some of your biggest strengths and weaknesses when it comes to your, your game in general? Um, I think some strengths that I've had um, just because now I'm a bit more experienced um, just in age and then also playing overseas. Um, I kind of bring a little more balance in the back and I know what to communicate to my defenders and up the, up the field um, as far as the game goes. Um, and then also I think what kind of got me into goalkeeping was just my shot stopping ability. So I love just diving in the air and like laying out for those big, like kind of photo worthy saves, what have you. But um, I think just kind of the general shot stopping and then communication and trying to be a leader back there are some strengths that I have. And then also I've always said like my work rate, I try to be one of the hardest working players on the field just because goalkeepers usually get a bad rap for being lazy. So I try to flip that. Um, as far as weaknesses go, I mean, there's always more that I can learn. Um, I know I continue to work on like my distribution. So like from my feet, just passing out of the back on goal kicks when I get the ball back. So I continue to work on that. Um, but I mean, there's, there's always areas to grow. So I won't limit like my strengths or weaknesses to anything like in particular. Um, what are some of your biggest goals going forward in soccer? Where do you hope that you can get to? What, what do you feel your ceiling is? Um, so I guess my biggest goals right now are just to continually um, reach kind of higher level leagues to play in. So Obviously, Japan was a great league. I was playing in the, the second division. So, and then after that, I went to the Israeli in the first division. So I want to keep kind of building. And that means just going to countries that have a little more of a, an established women's league. So going to places like Sweden or France or Spain or Italy, kind of like just bigger soccer countries like that would be a goal of mine. Um, also potentially getting a tryout with an NWSL team would be amazing. Um, I think that's something that I could maybe get to at some point. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately the biggest goal for me would be able to play here, uh, whether that's just be, being on a team and being in that kind of support role or actually becoming a starter, uh, for a team at some point. 
Um, so those are just kind of what I'm aiming for right now. I know I kind of have to put my time in and right now I'm just more focused on getting the playing experience. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be at the highest league right now, but I know that's kind of what I'm working towards. Um, what are some hobbies or things that you like to do outside of soccer? Um, outside of soccer, that's tough. Um, so if I'm home during the winter years or winter season, um, I like to go up to Tahoe and go skiing. I kind of got into that a few years ago. Um, and then during COVID last year, when my friends got me into uh, cycling, so I got a bike and I've been road cycling a lot, which is kind of a nice way to vary my training since it's still impact and I can get still get that cardio and leg work. Um, and it's kind of relaxing just to be out there cruising on the road. Um, and then in high school, I golfed. So every once in a while, I try to get out there and go to the driving range. I'm a bit rusty, but it, it's fun to get out there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, basically, I try to go up to Tahoe whenever I can. Um, I try to get over to some Giants games or Kings games, different sporting events. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. I finally got to go to my first couple of sporting events in the last like month, actually. I got to go to an A's game about a month ago and then went to a Giants game like a week after that. And uh, it was really cool. Uh, the weather was great. It was nice to escape from the heat. And one thing that's crazy is uh, in Giants games now, the, you know the Ghirardelli Sundays they have there? It's like what they're known mm -hmm. for, like one of the biggest things. They're like 1375 now for yeah, the Sundays. Yeah, they, they gouge you at those games. I'm going uh, to the game on the 5th, so I'm looking forward to that. That's cool. Yeah, that, that should be fun. Yeah, I want to definitely try to go to a, a Niner game this year. I have a couple people I know from my work, mm -hmm. and I, I want to try to go to a football game, even though those tickets are stupid expensive too. But, uh, yeah. you know, one thing, if there's anything I learned from the pandemic is, you know, you got to try to take advantage of doing stuff. And, you know, it it sucks that some stuff costs as much as it does. But at the end of the day, uh, you got to try to take advantage of some stuff if you have the opportunity. So Yeah, I mean, uh, the experience is worth it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, even though, you know, obviously I've been busy, you know, with my job and stuff like that, I've gotten out and played golf a little bit. I didn't play as much during the pandemic. I actually uh, learned another skill. I've been playing a lot of disc golf actually recently. So I've been going out to like, they have a few courses around the area. There's one in Auburn, one in Orangeville, and I think another one in Rockland, a few others. And I've been able to actually go out there and play uh, quite a bit, like once or twice a week. So I got to learn at least another skill during COVID. So it wasn't all, you know, wasted, but um, that's really cool. Yeah. I, I, um, I definitely want to try to go out to some more sports games. I haven't been to any Rivercats games yet, even though I have the shirt on. I haven't been to any Rivercats games. Um, I haven't been to any Potter games in Lincoln. Uh, it's just so hot, man. It's so hot. Yeah, games. not a great time to be outside. <laughs> no, I, I saw um, yesterday it was like 108 in Seattle, and today it was like 114 in Portland. It's like, yeah, how can you there. anything outside? <laughs> no, I have a lot of friends in Portland, and they're just staying inside. Like, most of them don't even have air conditioning, so they just oh. have to, like, shutter themselves in or hang out in their car that's that's rough um how, how's it been practicing like uh on davis and stuff in some days where it's been like over 100 do you practice late at night do you practice uh like do you practice in the heat of the day like how's that been yeah usually our practices are from 6 to 8 p.m so and then in davis it kind of gets that delta breeze that comes yeah. in so it really hasn't been too bad it's been worse for me i i coach Wednesday and Friday night in El Dorado and then also in like Rancho Cordova area. So it's okay. honestly worse for me doing that yes. because that's like usually at four or five o'clock until seven o'clock or eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. So 
sun out there for three hours, just like yelling at kids, trying to coach them just straight in the sun. I think it's worse standing than it is actually doing something. Do you guys play on turf out there? Or do you guys play on grass? Luckily it's real grass, but okay. it, yeah, it still gets pretty brutal. Because I, I remember when we graduated Lincoln in 2016, it was like 105 that day, and we're standing on the turf, and that adds like an extra 10 degrees, and uh, it's horrible, man. It's so bad. Yeah, out it's there. not a great idea for, for the graduation to be out there. Um, I, I know that, um, you know, you, we, you played on turf in high school. Do you, do you like it? I, I'm sure you like it a lot more being able to actually play on real grass and stuff now and, like, going out and playing games. Yeah, I mean, real grass, it, it, you can't really replace the feeling of it. Um, and for, for goalkeeping, the turf can be kind of brutal because you get those nasty, like, turf burns. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's better playing on turf than, like, really thick or kind of patchy grass. Yeah. Um, so as long as it's, like, a really nice kind of even well, grass field, that's going to be the best thing. But turf is kind of the second best option usually. Yeah. Um, well, outside of that, is there anything else you'd like to add about your career or any plans or any other things regarding Cal Storm? Anything at all uh, on that realm? No, I just say if you have the chance to come out to Cal Storm games because they're really fun. Um, we have four left. So after that, we don't play for another year. So just take the time to come out would be great. When's your guys' next home game and who do you guys play? Um, we play not this weekend, but the following, and then I, I believe it is against, uh, Pleasanton Rage. Gotcha. So I have to double check the date. Um, but I believe it's probably on the next Saturday. Okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah, everybody check that out. Um, in fact, I think I might be able to even find the Cal. Yeah, perfect. I actually have Cal Storm uh, soccer I, right here. Schedule. Perfect. I'll go ahead and post this for you guys in the chat. If anybody's interested. CalStorm.com slash schedule, and you guys can take a look at that. You guys can uh, either purchase the remainder season uh, season tickets, or you guys can go out to those games and purchase them. Uh, how much are the tickets at the games again, Abby, if you're going to a single game? Five bucks. Five bucks. Five bucks is nothing. Go out there and, and support. All right, guys, thank you. So, uh, well, thank you, Abby, so much for being on. Thanks for anybody who's listened in. Um, I have one other thing I'm going to do before I get going, but I'm going to let Abby get going, and then I'm going to do my final thought segment before I get going here. Abby, thank you so much for being on. It's great to be able to talk to you again. I know it's been a while. Um, I know COVID has been a very long time, and um, I'm, I'm glad you're able to get back out on the pitch and, and do work. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on and taking the time. Of course. Yeah. All right. Take care. You have a good one. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, take care. All right. So that was Abby Feingold. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, it was great to catch up with her, talk to her about everything regarding her career and updates and all that kind of stuff. Um, I meant to do this for my first podcast. I did not do it. Um, and uh, I think it was because I was just mainly concerned about making sure everything was going well, getting posted. Uh, now that everything is actually on the roll here, I can actually do this. I'm going to do my final thought segment. Um, before I get going, um, I, I'm not 100% sure if this podcast has actually been posted to the correct epicenter with Aaron Jackson because there were two accounts that I made in the beginning, one of which was an account to set everything up, and I wanted to make sure that, that went well, and I think I had a couple of glitches with it, um, and then it went through for some reason, and then I made another one. So I'm going to go back after this and make sure it was posted to the right um, channel. If it was not, then I will post it to the right channel, and I will figure out through StreamYard um, what is the issue and try to get that resolved come the next podcast that I have. Um, if it doesn't work, I'll just end up starting to post these on my A2Jack YouTube channel, and I might even change the name of the channel because I have been trying to do something different with YouTube. Um, 
before I get to my final thought segment, one other thing I want to let you guys know is the next one of these shows that you're going to be seeing is going to be this Saturday evening at 7.30. Um, I'm going to be having on Jack Salt, who is a uh, swim coach, um, who has, uh, he has actually swam competitively uh, for around the area here. Um, he actually has been able to coach swim and got the opportunity to coach uh, U.S. Nationals. He actually went to trials in Omaha a couple weeks back. Um, I'll be talking to him about his experience when it came to that. I'll be talking to him about his experiences in swim uh, for the last uh, basically 15 years he's been involved with it um, and all that good stuff for you guys. So make sure that you guys uh, catch that one. And then we'll obviously have more episodes in the future on Saturday. I'll let you know what the schedule's like going from there. With that being said, this is my final thought segment, um, and I wanted to talk about uh, one thing before I get going. I know that um, I said that this wouldn't be a political kind of podcast at all, but one thing that has been getting under my nerves a little bit recently has been cancel culture. So um, I'm actually going to share this article with you guys here, which has definitely gotten under my nerves over the last day. Um, U.S. Olympic trials, uh, Gwen Berry turns away from flag during the anthem. Hammer thrower Gwen Berry turned away from the American flag during the playing of the national anthem at the U.S. Olympic trials on Saturday in Eugene, Oregon. Barry, who placed third in the hammer throw Saturday to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics, has been a vocal ad activist in the lead up to the trials. The anthem has been playing once a day at the trials, and Barry felt, uh, said that she felt the timing of the anthem Saturday was a setup. I was pissed, to be honest, Barry told reporters at the U.S. Olympic trials. Uh, when the anthem started, Barry took a turn, so she was facing the stands. Towards the end of the anthem, she draped her black shirt reading activist athlete over her head. According to the Associated Press, the anthem doesn't play during medal ceremonies at the trials, but the hammer throwers received their awards just before the start of the evening session, which had been starting all week with a recorded version of the national anthem. Quote, they said they were going to play it before we walked out, then they played it when we were out there. But I really don't want to talk about the anthem because that's not important. The anthem doesn't speak for me. It never has. Um, so obviously... There have been some people who have gotten frustrated by this, and uh, I, some people who on the right have gotten frustrated by this and have wanted to cancel her. People like Dan Crenshaw, um, people like Mike Huckabee, and people like others who claim to hate social justice warriors and hate cancel culture. But when it comes to this issue, they're all for canceling people, and that's just it. Cancel culture is something that is only supported by people when it comes to supporting their own views. When it comes to the right, they'll support it if it's something that goes against their morals, but if it's something that is with their morals and somebody's trying to cancel them, they'll call them out. There's no consistency, and it's the same thing on the left, and I wanted to get to that. I will go ahead and stop this sharing screen. The one on the left is Sasha Banks, who is a uh, WWE star, and she's also starred in The Mandalorian. Um, her real name is Mercedes Varnado. Um, she liked something on Twitter the other day that had to do with anti-vax post. Now, look, I've gotten my vaccines. I think they're all – I personally think that they're safe. I think it is beneficial. I think people should get them. I do think that there are a lot more positives than potential negatives from a few people who have experienced side effects. With that being said, somebody who is posting questions or somebody who is posting even something about disagreeing with the vaccine, that does not mean that they should be canceled. And there have been a lot of people online that say that she's justified in getting the hate that she's had. She's justified in some people trying to be can to cancel her based off of liking some liking something liking something that's something that's anti. She said liking something. She didn't post it. She didn't retweet it. She liked it. 
If you are literally going to spend your time during the day going through what people on Twitter are liking, you have no life, period. And I'm sorry, but it is sad to see people who are trying to cancel somebody over something like that. That is my point. People on the left, if it has to do something that is against their ideology in any way like that, are all fine with canceling somebody until it comes to the point where something that they support, which is like Gwen Berry, somebody who didn't want to, who was protesting the anthem, somebody like Colin Kaepernick, they don't believe those people should be canceled because it supports their point of view. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's the same thing of the right wing as well. When it comes to Gwyneth Winberry, they feel like she should be canceled. But when it comes to something that is even something racist, hateful, whatever, that tries to be canceled, whether it be on a college campus or somewhere else, they will call out the left and call them cancel culture, social justice warriors. Let's be real, folks. People who are like that are hypocrites. They just want cancel culture only if it supports their point of view. How about this instead? How about instead of trying to cancel people during an extremely important time in this country where there are people hurting economically, some people about to become evicted, some people who are being literally hurt out in the streets because of the fact that we do not have enough officers on the ground. How about we advocate for more funding for officers to actually protect the streets? How about at the same time, we advocate for more funding to go in the hands of people, men and women who are hurting working class people who have lost their jobs or who are losing unemployment benefits now and can't get a well-paying job because nowhere will actually pay enough money. Why can't we actually come together as a community and actually support people in communities where stuff, people are getting hurt and where there is not enough money being thrown around to where people can survive? Instead, people are only focusing on the aspects that they feel will get them the most clicks, which is cancel culture. This needs to stop. That's my main uh, ending right there. It's just something that's gotten under my skin. Um, very uh, annoyed by cancel culture and uh, people who only support it for one point of view. I am against it entirely, and I hope that a lot of you are as well. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. Again, this will be posted on my Spotify um, here in a couple of hours. Um, I will make sure that this was posted the correct YouTube. YouTube and all. And then the next show will be posted this Saturday. It will be with Jack Salt. Make sure you guys don't miss that. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Hope you all take care. Peace out.